Let's take care of some price for Monday, February 12th, 2024. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're planning that Valentine's Day getaway, you are down to mere hours. Hurry up. Call the wall, 604-331-1000. You can ask for the Sikarsen price rate based on availability. Matt Sikarsen alongside Blake Price. Grace Sass hitting switches, conducting things. Big show coming up. It's all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Surrey. We'd love to get you into its two cornerstones, the uh, Nissan Rogue and the slightly smaller Qashqai. Uh, the 23 still hanging around, folks. Get them good. 24-month lease on the Rogue. 0% on select trims. Cash Kai, 36-month financing from 2.99%, and that's on all trims. It's all good at that point. Poll question today asking you who should play with Elias Pettersson, Niels Hoaglander, Elias Lindholm, or both. You can vote at Sikarsen Price on Twitter and YouTube. And Rick Talkett, and I suppose it, you know, the time was right to put those forward lines in a blender coming off the Boston loss. And we'll get into our top story here in the weekend that was for the Vancouver Canucks. But first, let's just spend a minute here. Uh, So I wasn't surprised to see the lines in a blender. I got to say, I was surprised to see Elias Lindholm linked up with JT Miller and Brock Besser. And once again, you know, Elias Pettersson looking around going, hey, now if Nils Hoaglander plays like Nils Hoaglander, right. Played in that absolutely magnificent goal, and we'll get to that in a moment. Then all systems go. I thought the whole point was for depth and yeah. to spread the wealth and I, and and duos and pairs. Remember we, we we had that as the sort of the chorus is everything's in pairs now. Well, you had pairs, and then you loaded up three to one again, and once again Pedersen's with two maybes. Um, two guys whose career highs are, you know, not what you'd expect alongside a potential MVP candidate for the season. And and do those MVP candidates raise the level of players around them? They do. That is the expectation. But it's it's within reason. Elias Pettersson can't turn Sam Lafferty into a 35-goal scorer. Now, these two guys are not Sam Lafferty. Pew Suter and Niels Holgland are more offensive exploits than that. We've seen a hat trick from Suter already. And we've seen a couple of highlight reel goals already this season from Hoaglander. He's added to it. But I think you're better off with pairs. Now, I'm not married to yeah. the pairs. It doesn't have to be Miller-Besser. It doesn't have to be Lindholm Pedersen. But I think you should probably go with pairs. Yeah. I voted for both. Mm-hmm. All Swedish line. Yeah, I'd, I'd Trey, love to see it. Trey Kroner line. And on the YouTube side, um, the Boy, the Hoaglander goal was just scintillating. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And not the first time. He he did the drag around the back goal uh, a month or two ago. Too. Like, this wasn't the flash in the pan where everything came together. This guy's got a bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. And for him to be pulling it out in, in, in key moments. And, like, the offense has not been coming as easily here. We talked about it. I nope. mean, January, they scored some goals in the first half of January, so they don't have to reach that far back to find explosive offense, but it's not coming like it did in the first half of the season. And yet, if you find a guy now, a new guy, to get on a heater, you know, you can sort of mitigate that mm-hmm. a little bit. I like the fact of the left and the right-handed center options for draws when Lindholm is playing with Patterson. Let's get into Lindholm here for a second. He has the 
incredible incredible debut, the two deflection goals in his first game as a Vancouver Canuck, and um, pointless in the last three. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So it's going to take some time to mm-hmm. integrate here. It's one of the reasons why you move early and don't limit yourself with the number of games that you have to integrate an important piece, a top six piece. In a lot of cases, after you might not deadline. ever get chemistry. If it's no, just a deadline right. deal, it might well, it's never happened. come. It's happened. Yeah. You've heard players say it. Yeah. I just, you know, it was such a sprint to the end of the regular season after trade deadline. In some cases, it's like 17, 18 games. Yeah. And again, sometimes with playoff teams, they're not all meaningful games, right? So it's it's a different chemistry exper- experiment than when you bring a guy in on January 31st. I do like – if you watch him off the puck and stuff like that, like you can just tell, though, it's a high-end player. Like he, he – oh, yeah. you know, there's just a different comfort level than watching a guy from a third line being promoted. Like it, it – you have to think it's going to come. I'm not suggesting he's going to be a point per game as a Canuck. It may not be that lucrative, but I think he's going to be a useful player, a more dependable, consistent player than the other options they have. So you voted both, too? I'm, I'm both. I'd like okay. to see that line. Uh, let's get into our top story. It's brought to you by Mr. Lube. The Canucks get three out of four points on a pair of weekend matinees in Detroit and Washington. Lose 3-2 to the Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena in Motown, and then go back and beat the Washington Caps. Sorry, lose 4-3 mm-hmm. in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena. Come back and beat the Washington Capitals 3-2 in overtime uh, in their nation's capital. Does the universe, they get four points. Does the universe, they get two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a fine weekend. Well, especially with a lot of things that went on this weekend. You were killing seven straight minutes of... Power play time for the Detroit Red Wings. You were uh, without Nikita Zadorov mm-hmm. in the game against Washington. Well, for much of the of Detroit his, game, too. His suspension, yeah. really, yeah, yeah, outside of, I think he played six minutes and change. Uh, you were playing matinees, which is a little bit different. And so the lag factor coming off the loss in Boston on Thursday, you were back at it a little sooner, had uh, less time to rest and and recover. Philip Hronick was making his return to Detroit. I thought Hronick was a beast this he was. weekend. He was. Like, that's the reason you went out and spent the capital, and it was pricey. But that's the guy that makes a first and second round draft pick worthwhile. He had lulled a bit, too. Blake, you know, like, to me, that's one, you know, I, I met a couple of guys from Edmonton uh, over the weekend. They were in town, and they were talking to me about the Oilers, and they said, boy, what's up with the Canucks? turnaround and I said well and you know they fingered talk it they went oh is it all talking and I said well it's an incredible coaching job being done here let's not forget that Thatcher Demko is healthy this season he was not for much of last season and when he's healthy he's a top five goaltender and I think we saw that in Washington as well he was extraordinary uh but I also think you got to give a lot of credit to Alvin and Rutherford and the addition of Philip Ronick we're coming on to um, one year since the trade. It was March 1st. And you just look at what he has done for that right side, what he has done for Quinn Hughes, what he has done, done for the defense score at large. I mean, he's been indispensable for them this year. He's having a hell of a season. And the other thing I love about him is he's got a lot of game. He can play the per- 
more physical game. He's got the big shot. He helps on your offense. He moves the puck. I mean, he's damn near a complete defenseman. And you take a look at him this weekend. I thought he was um, amongst, if not the best, Vancouver Canucks. He was great, and but he needed to be because he had been on a lull. Nine games without a single point for, for Ronick after that marvelous first half of the season. So he disappeared for a little bit. It was good to see him back. He was far more active. You could tell he was thinking offense. He he got really deferential to Hughes in, in the nine games without a point. It felt like he just wasn't asserting himself offensively like he was previously. But he was just like, nope, I'm going to do this this weekend. And and he was right alongside. Quinn Hughes had those moments too. Like the, the top two defensemen. Maybe it was because they knew they had a regular out of the lineup in Zadorov, and it was really down to four regulars, if we're not calling Juleson a regular at this point. And I, I felt like both of them had the I'm going I'm to do this sort of attitude this weekend. And uh, Captain Kedok on, on YouTube watching right now said, Hughes and Roenick are elite at moving the puck around up high on the blue line, but the forwards have to get better at cycling the puck down low to create more movement and openings. Um, absolutely. Uh, that's our top story brought to you by Mr. Lou, 100% Canadian. Started in Edmonton by a father and son duo. I'm guessing son called father Mr. Lou. I mean, it would be polite. Uh, pioneer of the no appointment oil change and now doing tire service and sales with no appointment. 16 locations in the lower mainland, one near you. Go to MrLube.com. I agree with Captain Canuck, uh, albeit more so with the top two lines than the third line, which does a good job of cycling the puck. Uh, Connor Garland gets on the board. We talked about her Friday. It kind of reminded of early in the season. They're doing everything right. The bottom line isn't there. Just keep doing things right, and the production will come. And sure enough, a a, a, a slick goal from Connor Garland, who I thought was damn good in the game against Washington. So three out of four points, two one and one on this five-game road trip, going into lowly Chicago on Tuesday night. Still the bedard less. Chicago Blackhawks, so he still will not have played yeah. a game. It's uh, you know, it's funny. It, this feels like the Canucks plateauing, and yet they're two one to one in the last four games. You know, you look at the Oilers; they they won the sixteen straight. They've lost two of their last three now, and they got blanked by the LA Kings for for buzz. Um, the Canucks are mitigating losses, right? Like they're losing games past sixty minutes. Guess what? You get points for that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if this is the Canucks struggling. You know, pinch yourself. Now, again, they're going to get tested coming up. The schedule does get difficult. Mm-hmm. But if this is sort of the plateau, take it, Canucks fans. This is not that yeah. bad at 2-1-0-1. And forgive me, but Bedard played in the December game against the Canucks. I was going to say he still hasn't played a game against his hometown team, mm, but he has. Right. He missed the... Uh, in Chicago, though. Yes, yeah. yes. He missed the one here at Rogers Arena and is going to miss this one. Tuesday night in Chicago at the United Center. Um, Early goals against. And and I laugh because it was stupid how often the Canucks were scoring the first goal in the first half of the season. Mm -hmm. I mean, two-thirds of the time they were getting the early lead. There were those astonishing statistics about how often they've played with the lead, how little time they were playing from behind in games through the first half of the schedule. Well, here we go. Turn up, I believe this is called regression to the 
mean, right? Mm-hmm. Five, six straight games where the Canucks have given up the first goal. And it's been early of late, 32 seconds into the game in Boston, 45 seconds into the game in Detroit, and a minute eight into the game in Washington. More on this with J-Pat. But frankly, I'm of uh, I'm of the mind that, hey, got to learn how to play from behind the playoffs. Yeah. And it seemed like their body clocks might have just been out of rhythm a little bit on the weekend in particular. Um, and so that can sometimes affect your starts. And let's face it, a lot of those early goals, fortunate goals, you know, not to say they're devoid of skill. I'm saying in the, in the first opening third of the season, you know, like not all those goals are always going to go in. You're going to get some good fortune there. It was a little bit front end loaded. You're a little bit snake bit early. If you don't get that early goal, all of a sudden you're a little bit more susceptible. So I, I don't know that there's much to read into it. They should probably stop it. <laughs> I would try to reverse that trend. I would try to pretend it's game one of the playoffs in the first, in these next couple of games against the Chicago team. Like, don't let them believe. Don't let the minnow believe. Crush the minnow early. You know, beat them down. And that, that's sort of what they did at home the last time Chicago was he- here. Remember, they scored two early ge- uh, goals. Yeah, and, and they were routed out. They were not spectacular the rest of the way, but they had a two-goal no. lead. So it didn't matter. So let's uh, let's see if they can... Turn that around. Carson Soucy has been put on injured reserve. The Vancouver Canucks have called up Jet Wu from the Abbotsford Canucks. And, of course, this falls in line with the Zadorov suspension. Uh, let's start on Big Nikita. Just thought it was a bad hit. Can't hit a guy in the head like that. Just lucky. I mean, when Raymond first goes down, whew, tough luck. Scary scene. And, yeah, I thought it was worthy of a couple-game suspension. It basically winds up being like a three-game suspension because of the match penalty and how much time he misses in the Detroit game. But you just can't hit guys in the, in the head. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a predatory dirty hit um, in terms of what his intention was. I think that was an old-school play where the, the defenseman swoops over across and, and, and takes the body on a player. But, um, but you got to take the body. You got to take the, the body. He he got a he got a quarter of it, probably twenty five percent, hit that upper chest, but got too much head, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was it was deserving of something big. Yeah, so he'll miss the game against Chicago, as well. Uh, that put Mark Friedman in the lineup for the first time since November thirtieth. Jet Wu, one time second round pick of the Jim Benning era. The time people thought, oh, there's pretty good value there because. He had tracked as a first-rounder until a uneven draft year. He's been a survivor. I'll yep. give you that much. Even a couple of years into his AHL tenure, there was a lot of people that were like, nope, this guy's never seen the light of day yep. in the National Hockey League. But uh, here he is. Yeah, here he is. At 23 years old, the 37th overall pick in 2018. He's got a big shot. He's a thicker guy. He play, th- plays with some punch. Yeah, do, do you think he gets into the lineup here and makes his NHL debut? What do you think? Um, God, if he had, if he was a left shooting defenseman, he would be in there like nobody's business. Um, uh, not often that being a righty no, is no. They, but right now mm-hmm. they have like sixty five right shot right. defensemen in the organization available because Noah Landon's available. Uh, who else? There's another lefty that's uh, injured down on the farm too. Um, so this, this, they were kind of forced into this, and so I, I mean, it depends on the report that 
the coaches are getting from the farm. Like if 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 the farm is glowing about him, yeah, I could see them taking Friedman out and putting him in. Um, if it's been a more tepid report card, yeah, he's been good for us, and blah, blah, maybe they'll just go with the devil they know and in, in Mark Friedman. A little bit of uh, Guillaume Breesbaugh here too. Remember, we never thought Guillaume Breesbaugh would see this. True, and then all of a sudden. There he was. In the and Breesbaugh, too, again. also and, had nine lives as well. Like, he well, had sort of an ebb and flow to his uh, star as well. So, uh, Actually, I'd like to uh, like to know more about Breesbaugh here. It's been a long time Where since we've heard yeah. anything uh, about Guillaume Breesbaugh. We, we know he suffered a concussion at one point, but he's been sitting there on IR the entire time. Susie, of course, has been out since January 20th. Uh, took that Mitch Marner shot to the hand playing the Maple Leafs. Um, so he's three weeks into this. It was thought. Five, five or six, they thought. Yeah, so, I mean. Still a ways away. I mean, so I think you're a couple of weeks at yeah. least from seeing Carson Soucy. He gets the door off back, uh, not for Chicago. Not for but, Chicago, but, but the but next for one. So Thursday against Detroit, which uh, they might be looking for a pound of flesh there. Although, did you see the, the celebration g- was. Well, first of all. Did you see the Red Wings on the ice after they realized who had made the hit? Nobody was going there. Yeah. Nobody wanted that smoke. I don't blame them. That is a big boy. We saw what because, Liam O'Brien did with uh, Zadorov, yeah, exactly. which is to say not much. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on all you Liam O'Briens. Yeah. Uh, I don't like your chances. Okay, so you mentioned it. Jake Wallman scores the overtime penalty shot winner. For the Detroit Red Wings against the Vancouver Canucks Saturday. And he celebrates with a little dance. Mm-hmm. That's the gritty. I, I didn't know that at the time. I, I didn't know that either. That's am, what people I'm that's now what I've read yeah. on, uh, on social media. It was kids' night or kids' day at Little Caesars Arena. Uh, you may have noticed there was a, a young voice on the PA and things yes. of that order. I had zero problem with it. It's fun. Score a game-winning goal. Go ahead and dance. I'm sorry. Wasn't it an overtime, overtime penalty, penalty shot, shot goal? You're not allowed to celebrate those for the win. Like and and and, and to be fair, I didn't see anybody squawking about it with the Canucks mm-hmm. or frankly their fans. Not many, at least. I mean. I I don't remember, but when Timu Solani threw up the glove and shot right. it, did did anybody have an issue? People had an issue with uh, Ovi treating his hot stick like a campfire. It was spectacular. Remember, that. remember Ryan Kessler's sort of like, well, are we not entertained? J.G. Miller in Washington yeah. with the same arms outstretched. William Carlson, when he ends the streak for the Oilers, beautiful empty net goal, yeah. curl and drag, shoot scores, goes to the corner, does a double hand sort of like tire pump, yep. and then and then does the yeah, yeah. come to me, everybody. I and it's fun. And they all come to him. Like, and the Oilers had zero problem no. with that. And frankly, if uh, a Canuck had done that, I think we'd be having a ball with it. Yeah. So, like, it's it's no. I uh, I think it. it's slowly changing. Like, is it because well, Ridley Grig uh, would, okay. would would beg to differ? And with so that. now let's get into it. If you missed the Battle of Ontario on Saturday night. Ottawa rookie Ridley Gregg is bearing down on an open net and winds up and takes a big slap shot. 
punctuation mark. You know, the Senators are always going to be a little brother there. And it was a big fight. It was a, it was home, a, ten, it was a intense, tenacious game. In, yeah. Intense game. Yeah. And he ends it. Now, was it gratuitous? Did it look a little silly? Of course it did. I didn't realize it was such an egregious violation of the unwritten code. I had no idea. Because West Vancouver's Morgan Riley, who we know and like around here, goes and gives them the business, and then a melee ensues. And now Riley is offering in-person hearing with the NHL. This is the Dale Hunter-Pierre Turgeon rule, I believe, that after a guy has scored that late to go on over and hit him. Um. You know what? If he did, oh, like I, I thought that was fun too. Like you're at home, your fans are revved up. Put a little extra mustard on the hot dog, but it, send it, them go, send them to the parking lot and to the public transport. Well, it was no it was only French's mustard though. It wasn't Grey Poupon. Like he didn't do a Michigan. He didn't do one of those Pavel Barber, you well, know, crazy. Like he just hammered it in. Like it, it wasn't crazy, but. That's where I think it's changing, right? Lacrosse goals. Oh, that, that broke code. Them. That broke we're code. Se- no, but we're seeing them now. Right. Like, I think it's now accepted. I think the code can live with lacrosse goals. But that's why Michigan's think- weren't done more often is that was against the code. You weren't supposed to do that. Nonsense. I think the code can deal with gritty celebrations. Can they not? Yeah. Here's the thing. You don't like the feeling that that created when he hammered that goal? Win the hockey game. Win the hockey game. Like, imagine if NBA players had this many feelings. Like, they get windmill dunked on. Guys dance in the end zone all the time. But in the in the NBA, on a on a on an un, like if you're on a breakaway in the NBA, unguarded basket, of course, you could just lay that in nicely. Yes. Like, why do you need to do the windmill dunk? Why? Just lay it in. Because it's entertainment. Act like you've been there before, Matt. Because it's entertainment, Blake, and we're trying to entertain. It is first and foremost an entertainment enterprise. Yeah. Now, you don't want to insult, but I don't think a slapper into an empty net insults anybody. And if it does, boy, are you reaching for insult? Are you reaching for grievance? Have a thick skin. I love Morgan Riley. Love Morgan Riley, but have a thick skin. What did Ryan Reeves say about it? Oh, Ryan Reeves was talking like he's uh, Gordy Howe. Um, <laughs> back in my day, dude, you made your debut in 2010. Like, honestly, he said, if you rewind to when I came into the league, 2010? No, sorry, Ryan. Uh, he's probably still laying on the ice, which means you've killed him. He did lay on the ice for a long period of time. He wanted no part of that melee. I thought Riley's response was appropriate. I don't see how a kid that young thinks it's appropriate to do something like that. Something okay, so, like what, Ryan? So um, is his youth part of the offense here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So can the code tell me at what level of service you're allowed to try things like that? Like when are you a made vet? Do you know there's the a code? first overall pick that would beg to uh, – interject and say trying to calmly tuck it in can have its uh right patrick stefan wishes he ridley gregged it otherwise he would not live in infamy for the rest of his career uh, blake here's the thing um and and i get i get your outrage at their outrage I, i do think we're in the last vestiges of this 
Yeah. I, I do think we have the last of that NHL generation that's going down, kicking and screaming with code book in hand. Now, here's one thing I, Morgan I think Riley. The game is changing. I think young people who grow up now are far more offensively inclined than perhaps previous generations were. They tend to score beautiful goals and they tend to celebrate their achievement. And I am a okay with it. Let's bring more fun to this sport, not have less. Here's the one give I can give in that situation. If Morgan Riley did a drive-by on him and said, keep your head up next time. That's all part of the fun. Because then you're keeping it in the lines. Right. You're like, next time, within the bounds of hockey, right. we're going to kick your ass. Yep. So keep your head up. Say it in football all the time. Respond with your shoulder pads. Put a good, clean lick on him at some point later. So go and beak him on your drive-by, right. Morgan, and say, keep your yeah. head up, kid. Yeah. Nice try. And rub him out next time he's bearing down on you, yeah. and it's all good. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was fun. I, I thought both instances yeah. uh, this weekend were fun. Uh, the da- uh, Wallman's Dance. The anti-fun league and, and sometimes, and honestly. Greg's, uh, and Greg's slapper. I see that Elliot Friedman is now suggesting he doesn't think the Canucks are going to be able to land Tanif. And I suspect that's because the market for Chris Tanif is robust as it is. Uh, not to mention the fact the Canucks are already down assets, and particularly this year's first-round pick after making the Elias Lindholm trade. But are we a little surprised we haven't seen another trade since the Sean Monahan trade, which, of course, followed the Lindholm trade? It's gone very quiet on deadline front here over the last week and a half. Yeah, there was no dam that broke. No. Two quickies, and right. then well, and because Tanev's name was the one that was really well, there were some reports. Next man up, sort of. Thing. There were some and reports he's log jamming the rest of the defense market. I mean, some people think that there was an adjacent trade involving the Canucks and Flames, and in the Lindholm moment, to try to make it a big blockbustery kind of day. Don't know how close that ended up being, but there was some of that talk, and now again, just. Now, maybe the Flames' minor resurgence, the Flames have shown a pulse. Maybe that has slowed the roll for Craig Conroy. Um, but, yeah, it, it leads league-wide, it seems quiet. Never mind just on Tandem. It just mm-hmm. seems really quiet. I uh, And if we're, we're keeping track every so often, but the Vancouver Canucks at 73 points lead the Pacific Division and the Western Conference. They're still five better than the Chase Pack. That's Dallas, Colorado, Vegas, all on 68. Did you notice the St. Louis Blues? Need to upgrade your points. 76 points for the oh, Canucks. Oh, where am I? 76 points for the Canucks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I was looking at an old page. Yeah. Put me on East and O's. Three points up on the so, Bruins, but six up on the Panthers and Stars in the overall standings. And then right. in the division, because the Oilers are way back in games played, the Canucks are still 15 points up on the Oilers for third. Eight points up on the Knights. Uh, my bad. Uh Did you see what the St. Louis Blues did this weekend? Uh, Huge victory over the Montreal Canadiens, scored a lot of goals. That's not a team that we have talked about as much as a potential first-round opponent, Uh, but there are the Blues on the second wild card in the West. On 51 games, which is, if you discount the Kings who are on the first wild card, St. Louis has played... um, as few games as anyone, with the exception of Arizona, who's now eight back. So that that might even be stretching it a little bit. Minnesota and Arizona, I think, are they might be down. If they're not out now, then down. they needs they need to start winning forthwith. 
So uh, winnowing of the field potentially with St. Louis responding with a couple of victories to what Calgary did uh, and what Calgary is still doing. Four straight four wins in a row. Yeah. Uh, the, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Wild cracking even, I'll put in that too, because there are 51 games played. So everybody's giving games to, to the Kings and to the Oilers. Um, and we wonder if the Kings are getting their new coach bump finally, uh, back-to-back wins for them. So everybody's, you know, below the top three bar starting to get their bleep together just a little bit, showing some side. We talked about this playoff push here. Are the teams below the top three now realizing their plight in life? Because there's a drop-off in both divisions, Central and Pacific, from the top three to the teams below them. So they know that it's a wild-card battle, most likely, because the Edmonton Oilers aren't even as proximal to the group as they really are because they've only played 48 games. So it's really a wild-card battle, and that's it. The top three are pretty etched in stone in in, in the two divisions. So... It's going to be interesting to see the desperation level for those teams and who's really, really right. in it. And next week, the Canucks are in Minnesota and they're in Seattle. And I think we began to see it this weekend in Detroit and Washington. We talked about it going into the weekend. Detroit sitting on the last spot in the Eastern Conference. And then Washington, who was far back enough that they needed to start winning immediately if they were going to stay in the race. Uh, Vancouver's got a bunch of games like that coming up. But Detroit again here at Rogers Arena. On Thursday, Seattle and Minnesota, if Minnesota is still a party to this next week, and then Pittsburgh the week after with the Penguins here, although that's a couple weeks away, Blake. Who knows what's going to happen between now and then? And not everybody responds well to this kind of pressure, right? Like like it sounds like, oh, you're gonna the Canucks are gonna face a desperate team. Yeah, but sometimes teams don't do well with those with those scenarios and they fold like tents. So We'll see which teams have, again, got the medal to, to compete here. And speaking of watching hockey, February 22nd at Greta, 70 West Cordova. We're having a watch party alongside our friends at Canucks Army. It's a ticketed event, $10, nationgear.ca is where you want to get your tickets. The doors open at 6 p.m., and the event is in support of Canucks Place Children's Hospice. There'll be prizes, food, and drink specials. And a guaranteed good time. Come join us February 22nd at Greta on 70 West Cordova. Tickets $10 at nationgear.ca. As we set up the menu on today's show, Blake, there will be a welcome mat coming up here. Jeff Patterson will join us. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including Abbotsford's Nick Taylor winning again on the PGA Tour. You might have been watching Super Bowl. But another dramatic playoff victory for Nick Taylor at another big-name PGA Tour stop. That was fantastic. And, of course, there was a football game on Sunday, a Super Bowl. Yeah, we should talk about that. And there was a winning team, same as last year's winning team. And a quarterback who now got three rings and has the first repeat championship in 20 years. Remember tennis we thought with Roger Federer? Retiring, oh, the greatest of all time. Well, that lasted about like 18 months until Novak Djokovic. Well, Sampras before that too, right? So, like, as much as Tom Brady gets to celebrate being the GOAT for now, is it just for now? I mean, it talked about this after the AFC Championship game. In my life, I did not think another quarterback would come around that instantly (laughs) is putting pressure on the Brady records. And to be fair, he's less than halfway there, but... 
if he gets to five, he's the in the conversation. Oh, I mean, so the he's tracking, two away from the, the a true conversation. Already, yeah. yeah. Extraordinary for Patrick Mahomes uh, and Kansas City. Let's get to our best bets, unless you're all betted out from the weekend, of course. But the uh, best bets, a presentation of Sports Interaction, your mm-hmm. homegrown sportsbook and casino. What do you got? I, uh, I did okay, actually. Did you? The, I, I didn't win squares because we had squares yes. going on. I didn't win squares. Yeah. Um, but you know, Chiefs money line, Mahomes MVP, and the Elijah Mitchell over on rushing yards. So I, I did okay. Uh, here's the thing: if you're thinking the Canucks, Oilers, Jets, maybe even the Leafs, that Canada has its best chance at a Stanley Cup in 30 years, 30 plus years, you can bet any Canadian team mm. to win the Stanley Cup. And it goes off at 360. So some value there. You're going to get four or five cracks at it out of the field of 16, right? Yeah. So that's, that's With some pretty good, you know, top end teams too in Vancouver. That's a fun bet because it keep, keeps you cheering on for a while. It's a fun bet. Put it this way if we all put a nickel on that, there would be Canada's team in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? Um, can I have one dunk for myself? Um, Remember oh, my, my, my Thursday best bet? Put put, put the windmill yeah. garnish on it, okay? Do it like Ridley Gregg. Thursday bet, bet best bet, I said, Scotty Scheffler's finishing in the top five of this event. Oh, he well just done. Is. Well, he's won it two years in a row. And- T3. <laughs> easy. Easy money. Um, did you have Nick Taylor? I did not have Nick Taylor. Uh, it was not see, that bold. That would have been the windmill dunk. It would have been. Uh, I saw somebody online had... Who threw the touchdown? The receiver that threw the touchdown? Uh, Jawan Jennings. Yeah, he. somebody had that prop. Wow. That is incredible. I now crazy. I don't know. Had they showed that play in the regular season? I don't know. But some, yeah, I don't know why that prop was available. But well, it was a, former high school quarterback yeah, sometimes on the radar a little bit. Yeah. Although as somebody said to me, "Oh, he's a former high school quarterback," and I'm like, most of the skill position guys right, in the they NFL are. they play quarterback in yeah. high school well, yeah. because their high school coach was. Smart enough to go. That's an athlete. He's really damn good. Let's put the ball in his hand each and every time. And, of course, after the Philly special, which That's Nick it. Foles did, you got to have it somewhere on the board. That's right. Yeah. Their own version of Philly Philly. And, hey, great job on, on uh, forging those props. They, what was that play called? Corndog, I think they called it. Anyway. Um, and he threw it into traffic, too. Like, yeah. when he pivots to throw, I'm going, oh, my God. Look at all the bodies over there. Great run by McCaffrey. Uh Canucks and Blackhawks tomorrow. Um, is this an opportunity for the Canucks You're to get goals? I hope, right? Uh, huh? You got to lay goals. I'm You're not just. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm, oh, going, I'm okay. going goals. Period. Over under. Oh. Because I think there's an opportunity for the Canucks over. to find their scoring form. Over. Yes. Hit the over a buck eighty three because it's only at a five and a half. I think this can get to six goals easy. One eighty three on the over a five and a half. J-Pat's next. Must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Yeah, Sports Action, your homegrown sportsbook and casino. Speaking directly to a Vancouver sports fan, scan that code right there. You get a 200% welcome bonus from Sakaris and Price. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect... And I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. Injuries, suspension, uneven play, all rearing their heads for the Vancouver Canucks right now. And it illustrates the need for 
for more depth by the March 8th trade deadline. I've said in the past, if they want to take a big swing, another big swing, I could support another deal that along the lines of the one that added Elias Lindholm. Devil's in the details, of course, but if Canucks management does go bigger hunting over the next few weeks, thinking this is their year, well, there have been worse times to do so. But the more I watch and the more I forecast to the playoffs, the more I'd like to see them add another depth forward and another depth defenseman. In fact, I think Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin could time this perfectly by bookending the Lindholm trade with a couple of smart additions right at the deadline. The Canucks and Rutherford in particular wanted to move early and integrate a big piece into the lineup well before the deadline. Job done. Lindholm acquired on January 31st. Won't be many more centermen, if any, better than him traded in this deadline season. Now, perhaps patience is their best friend. From here, let other teams respond to their move. Jets already have, adding Sean Monaghan. And wait out the sellers till the deadline. As we've discussed, with more teams falling out of these playoff races, this could well be a buyer's market by early March. Now, on defense, Carson Soucy continues to miss time with that hand injury. There's word of a setback. Couple that with Nikita Zadorov's suspension. And that forced Mark Friedman back in the lineup for the first time since November 30th. Guy hadn't played in months. And that led to Jet Wu being called up from Abbotsford. They're fine regular season replacements. But think of it. Another defenseman to partner with Noah Juleson as the emergency pair. Go eight deep. Well, for me, that's easier breathing in the postseason against good teams. Ditto up front. Sam Lafferty's been sat down here for Phil DiGiuseppe for going five without a point, eight without a goal. Again, in season, DiGiuseppe works. But ideally, you've got better options than him and Linus Carlson come playoff time. Who's up now? There may well still be time for an Abbotsford forward to come up and make an impression, but unless that happens soon, I just can't see this coaching staff trusting prospects or HL players in the playoffs. So one more forward, one more defenseman, both of them at the deadline for a reasonable price. Do that, then take your bows on the evening of March 8th. It's welcome out for today. Invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email, live at securitsandprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. Email live at securitsandprice.com. Joined now by Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter after a weekend where the Canucks grabbed three or four points with a couple of games that go beyond regulation in Detroit and Washington. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it had its moments. I don't think that... Uh... They were exceptional, but it's kind of like that last homestand before the All-Star break where, you know, there were moments in most of the games and it's the same sort of thing on this road trip. Like, it's hard to argue at 2-1-1 and, and, you know, they lost the one game in Boston and they weren't very good, but I think they bounced back. Uh, like the second period in Detroit, certainly, with a 3-1 lead, I thought this team had evolved beyond the point of letting it get away, but they did. And then I like the response in Washington you know, the early starts and the fact that they're giving up these early goals, that's not great, but uh, there's just enough there. And look, it it was a 2-2 tie going to the third period. And I'm thinking to myself, all these all-stars, 
Like, yes, Washington's got Alex Ovechkin, but he's slowing down. I know he scored and has scored in five straight, but I just thought in a 2-2 tie, one of the Canucks All-Stars had to rise up. Now, it didn't happen in the third period, but sure enough, in overtime, you know, they've got enough difference makers that even on a day where, like, that's about as quiet as JT Miller's been all season, I mm -hmm. think. But put the puck on his stick in a scoring position with five seconds to go and pulls the trigger. So, you know, it's funny on the road trip as a whole, JT Miller has two points and has been remarkably quiet. His two points through the game winners in Carolina and in Washington, where they've snapped two, two ties late, a third period goal in Carolina and the overtime winner against Washington. So uh, I think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, Thatcher Demko is really good. Uh, he's part of that group as well, part of the leadership group, part of the all-star gang. Uh, I thought he did what he had to do to keep them in it, made some saves there. And ultimately they were just looking for that one opportunity and they got it and they skated to Washington three or four points on the weekend and five of eight so far on this trip, and a chance to go into Chicago now, the easiest game of the five on the road trip. They get the win there, guys, and they come home with seven of ten yeah. points, even though there are still issues and hand-wringing and angst around this team right now for the way that it's played. But all they do is find ways to pick up points along the way. Which is a fantastic trip, and we talked about this trip. It was going to be difficult on the front end because of the quality of opponents, and it was going to be difficult on the weekend because of the back-to-back -back against two desperate clubs. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit here, Jeff. We're starting to see the Canucks encounter teams that have a whole lot to play for and the intensity is ramping up. And, and they're coming in frankly, number one too. And frankly, I think that can only help them here uh, as they get ready for the playoffs down the stretch in their final 30. Yeah. And that's why I come back to sort of my thoughts are the same as the homestand where, you know, would you like them to play perfect hockey? Of course, but the other teams out there, they're battling. They want those points every bit as much. And so even if they're not at their best, this team's ability to find ways ultimately to pull out victories is commendable. And so, um, you know, they've been pretty good about uh, not letting up, but I'm sure Rick Tockett will bang that drum going into Chicago where the Blackhawks are brutal and, uh, you know, they still don't have Connor Bedard. He's getting closer, but uh, that's a should win for the Vancouver Canucks and, you know, at the end of a business trip, let's see if their business-like approach and, and you know, just get those wins, come on home. The other thing to mention, guys, is that with the win in Washington, the Canucks are done with the Eastern time zone now. Like, the schedule really turns in their favor, not so much in terms of quality opponents because they still see a lot of the top teams in the West, but uh, by my math, they've got 29 games remaining, only six outside the Pacific time zone now. So, uh, front end loaded with a lot of travel. We've talked a lot about that, but uh, the payoff was, you know, all those home games, including a nine game homestand for the month of March. So uh, they did really well too against the Eastern opponents on the road in the East this year. They went 10, four and two in 16 games. Like that's a huge part of why their road record is what it is and why their overall record is what it is. The acquisition of Elias Lindholm uh, led many to believe, and I, I think rightly so, that, okay, now the Canucks have two sets of frontline pairs. And you could rejig it however you wanted as to who the pairs were. We assumed it would be Miller-Besser, Lindholm, and Pedersen. Um, maybe not. What do you make of the separation of uh, of Lindholm and Pedersen and, and sort of, uh, hey, it doesn't spell out a lot of line, but it's effectively like the lot of line loading up with that top line. Yeah, a little surprised that uh, the two Eliases, or Elias and Elias, lasted two games, and then Rick Talking decided to go for a, a different look over the weekend. It's very much a work in progress, and I don't think that can be a surprise to anybody. 
you know, the team is holding its head above water in the four games that he's played here. Uh, had the nice debut, obviously, in Carolina, but those are his only points, and they both came on the power play. So four games in, nothing to show at five on five. And part of that, I think, is the fact that he's bounced around a little bit. But, you know, in terms of his usage, uh, looking at his ice time, he was fourth among all Canucks so far in these four games uh, in the amount that he's played and fourth among Canuck forwards in shorthanded ice time. So he's getting used and used a lot in different situations. It's been terrific on the faceoff circle, uh, 57% so far in the early going here. And, and that's as advertised. I mean, that's one of his strong suits and gives him that right shot, right side faceoff guy. But at some point, yeah, you want to see him sort of settle in, find some rhythm and, and a bit of a routine with some line mates. And I'm surprised that uh, Patterson and Lindholm didn't get a little bit of a longer run. Uh, as I mentioned, it's been a quiet road trip for JT Miller. It's been a really quiet road trip for Brock Besser, who hasn't scored yet and hasn't looked all that dangerous. He'll be heard from again before the season is through, but little bit of a rut to maybe the first time all season for, for Brock Besser. So, uh, you know, it, it's a case of Lindholm, a new guy coming in, but also joining a cast of characters that aren't necessarily at the tops of their games right now as well. So I think some experimentation is going to continue here. Uh, and then a guy like Niels Hoaglander becomes a bit of a wild card in this, that uh, finally, after uh, all of the howling in this market, for him to get a, an opportunity higher in the lineup, gets to play with Elias Pettersson, scores in both games over the weekend, beautiful goal in Washington, nice deflection goal against the Detroit Red Wings as well. So I'd like to see that get a little bit more of a run. And I would just think that... Uh, you know, Rick Tockett has used that committee approach on defense, and maybe it's going to be a bit more of that committee approach up front until uh, he hits on something that he thinks uh, has a little bit of staying power. So answer me the poll. Who should play with Patterson, Hoaglander, Lindholm, or both? Well, I think Hoaglander for sure. Uh, I'm all about that for the time being. And it's funny, too, that, you know, not that Elias Patterson only had the big second period in Detroit, you know, but finally they moved Ilya Mikheyev off that line and he gets a winger that's productive right away. So I, I just wonder, like, what's possible for Hoaglander if he gets any kind of run with Elias Pettersson? I mean, mm -hmm. 16 goals, lower in the lineup, none in the power play, and primarily with guys that haven't been producing a ton themselves. Now, all of a sudden, if he gets a chance to be stapled to the wing with Elias Pettersson, like, look out, uh, Hoaglander may take off. Um and there's enough time left in this season, like 25 goals, not at all. I think that's kind of the pace that he's on. So not out of the question at all that Nils Hoaglander could be a 25-goal scorer. And look, at some point, maybe we see the three Swedes put together and get Lindholm back there with Pedersen and Hoaglander. And what does that look like? I think you know what you've got in a guy like Pius Suter, who can sort of seamlessly plug some gaps for you. And if you had to go back to Miller, Besser, and Suter, I think you could do worse than that for the Vancouver Canucks. So... Uh, maybe that's the top six that we're looking at here. Uh, we haven't seen Pedersen, Lindholm, Hoaglander yet, but maybe that's next up in the sort of rotation for Rick Tockett here. I'm going to take, uh, as you noted on Twitter, Jeff, they've given up the first goal in six straight games here, um, including three in the first minute and change here in a row, 32 seconds into Boston, 45 seconds into Detroit, and a minute eight at Washington. I'm going to go counterintuitive here, though. Jeff, what, at the midway point, they were scoring first in two-thirds of oh, their games, yeah. right? Like, it yeah. was it was the formula. Get yeah. up early and either overwhelm them or nurse home the lead that you get. Frankly, in what's left of the regular season, with no one quite nipping at your heels just yet, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for them to learn to play when they're down in hockey games early because we didn't see a whole lot of that 
through the first half of the schedule. Yeah, and Taka was asked about that uh, at the tail end of the homestand because they fell behind St. Louis and had to rally. They fell behind Columbus and had to rally. Uh, I think there are limits to your theory, though, and six straight, uh, they might want to swing that back in the other way. And the fact that they're giving up those goals so early, you know, it's easy to say, oh, they're not ready for hockey games. I don't think that's the case. I mean, the shorthanded goal in Boston was just brain cramps all around by your top players. Uh, on Saturday, it was Tyler Myers has to has to make a better defensive play than he did on Lucas Raymond. And then yesterday it was Myers and Cole. So, you know, there's different characters involved here. I don't think that this is Rick Tocca doesn't have them prepared or that they're taking their opponents lightly. I think this is just a kind of like the run of shorthanded goals. You know, it happened. It'll be addressed. They're not going to give up a goal in the first minute every game, but it is a little bit startling to see it happen as often as it has. But to your broader point, Matt, I think, look, you get to the playoffs. You're not going to open the scoring every game. You're going to find yourself down. Those are good opponents you're playing. And so there is some value, I think, in, you know, Rick Tockett having to make some tactical decisions that if it snaps his team to attention, whatever the case, they rallied and they got a single point. I mean, they rallied and they got the lead in Detroit and let it get away, but they still get a, a point there and then they rally and they get the win against the Washington Capitals. So, you know, it, it is one of those things that they can put in their back pocket and recognize that. If they give up an early goal, if they fall behind, not the end of the world. They know they've got the firepower uh, that they just kind of have to stick to the staples that talk it always talks about and play their way. And ultimately, uh, you know, they can still find success. I think when I look at Sunday's game, you know, if there was a small D disappointment, it was that I thought they played all right. A 2-2 tie, they get a power play with three minutes to go, right? Puck over the glass, like on a platter for them. Uh, Would have liked to have seen them put the hammer down there, but didn't happen. Power play's gone a little bit too quiet here. We've seen that happen from other stretches as well, but they've got enough weapons and another, enough ways to beat you that it doesn't hurt them ultimately, but want to see that power play, especially integrating Elias Lindholm into the mix, want to see that power play get up and cooking again here. Second unit had a nice shift. Uh, was it yesterday, I believe? Yep. Uh, on, well, on the old, yeah, the first yeah. power play of the game. They were out there, and and I think some of that's probably some messaging from Rick Tockett as well, that the first unit's been giving up shorthanded goals, hasn't been cashing in. Give the second unit a look, and Dakota Joshua got some power play time as well. So the, the only thing that's missing from that second unit is the 16-goal scorer. Yeah, Nils yes. Hornick. But Did the, we see how excited Hronick and Garland were to play that power play? <laughs> they the kids in candy. Well, speaking of Hronick, he scored one of the best goals of the season, that, that D coming out of the box. Yeah. Um, that seven-minute PK, albeit um, it doesn't end up uh, coming in a, in a full-blooded win, but is that one of the top moments of the season for, for not only that unit, but just for the team? I mean, killing off seven straight minutes of power play is something else. Yeah, I mean, the five, and then you're right. It looked like they were going to get out of that unscathed, and then uh, the high stick, and and so attack on two more minutes. Uh, look, it, it was a bit of a coming-out party for Noah Juleson on the weekend. Like, that guy's strong back-to-back games, and and really has had a fine season since the middle of November. Like, I, I, I don't know, you know, credit to him. I don't know if it's uh, all the credit to him or the coaching staff for working with him, but he really has found a niche as a penalty killer on this hockey club and in that five minute major with Zorov tossed from the hockey game, nobody on the Canucks killed more of the five minute major than Noah Juleson. And he had a great breakup of a backdoor tap in that was a sure goal for the Red Wings. And he made a terrific defensive play and, you know, cleared the puck in the same motion uh, yesterday, the quick up to Connor Garland on the uh, first Canuck goal. So good for Noah Juleson. Uh, you know, again, maybe it's an understanding that, uh, 
Carson Soucy's getting closer, and at some point we'll get back in the lineup and Juleson's try to, you know, keep his foot in the door here and keep his spot in the lineup. Whatever the case, he was good. Dakota Joshua's had a fine season on the penalty kill. Uh, the fact that they're starting to use Lindholm an awful lot now since the trade, I think you're seeing some of his utility is there on the penalty kill as well. But yeah, I mean, high leverage situation. It was a one-all tie. Uh, ill-advised play, obviously, by Zadorov, and I don't blame the league. You're trying to get headshots out. I think two games was probably fair. I kind of figured to get at least one. I thought maybe, you know, the bulk of a one-all tie uh, and then Sunday's game, but I had no issues with a two-game suspension for Nikita Zadorov. So uh, interesting that he gets back in the lineup on Thursday against those same Detroit Red Wings, and we'll see if there's uh, any carryover because that game had a lot more feeling than I expected for a Saturday morning, two teams that hadn't seen each other all season, only see each other twice, but uh, uh, we'll, you know, there was some feeling there, and we'll see if that carries over into the rematch on Thursday. But yeah, that was a, a really nice sequence for the Vancouver Canucks that uh, propelled them to the big second period. Frankly, I thought they defended better on that PK than they did at five on five in times uh, over the weekend. Um, Jet Wu, do you think he's going to get a look here? Do you think he gets into a game? Yeah, this is fascinating. I, and I think anytime you're within a month of the trade deadline, you have to consider a whole bunch of options here. You know, is this a reward for his play down in Abbotsford? Is there something going on beyond the Zadorov suspension in terms of uh, banged up bodies? Because he's a right shot defenseman, which, you know, you already had Mark Friedman here and Friedman's playing on his offside. And now you're adding another righty. So that surprised me a little bit in that regard. But also, uh, you know, could this be any sort of showcase? Like if ever there was an opponent that you could plug a player like this in, it's against the Blackhawks. Jet Wu's probably third on the Blackhawks depth chart at the NHL level, the way that their season's going. But, uh, you know, why not? Why not take the opportunity? This guy's been in the system a while, has played himself back into the mix as a, you know, tweener at the very least and a guy that probably has earned an opportunity at the National Hockey League level. I, I I hope that this isn't just bring him in and, you know, a bit of a nod to him to get a day on the NHL roster at the end of a road trip. Uh, why not against the Chicago Blackhawks? Uh, give him a look, a little love for Jet Wu here the day or two before Valentine's A little bit of color on that. The left-handed defensemen are all injured for the Abbey Canucks. So, it, you know, the, your options are pretty slim right now. Um to call guys up, but guys uh, like you could go Matt Irwin would be the only option, really. Um, but everybody else is dinged right now, so it's a bunch of righties. <laughs> so I think it's just it's just who's available more than anything. Um, the question is, do do they want to see him over Friedman? I guess would be the the question. Did Friedman do anything too dastardly that demands him out of the lineup? I don't think so. No, I mean he played he played eleven minutes. Uh, yeah. You know, again, they basically went with five defensemen for much of that hockey game. Quinn Hughes on the back half of back-to-backs playing 29 minutes and change and three minutes of of overtime as Quinn Hughes likes to do. And and so not a surprise there. But yeah, Friedman, and tough situation for him. The guy hadn't played an NHL game since November the 30th. And, you know, he's been a loyal soldier and he's stayed on the payroll. And I think they're worried that if they tried to wave him to the minors, that somebody, a right shot defenseman, would probably get claimed around the National Hockey League. So they wanted to keep him in the fold and went down. He played those six games in Abbotsford. But, uh, you know, I didn't think he looked out of place, but it's 11 minutes. Could Jet Wu give you those same 11 minutes against uh, an inferior opponent like the Chicago Blackhawks? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think the Canucks, you know, could insulate Jet Wu enough at the tail end of a road trip like this one against a Chicago team that has been shut out, I believe it's in four of its last eight games. They don't mount much offense. They don't mount a huge threat. 
why not? This seems like the perfect opportunity to plug a guy like Jet Wu in and give him his National Hockey League debut. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Jet Wu's going to require waivers to go back down. He's not waiver ineligible anymore. So that's what that does make this call up a little bit interesting, doesn't it? A 23 year old right shot defenseman yep, that right. you'll have to send back down. Right. So is this a question of another team wanting to see Jet Wu play in the National Hockey League ahead of, you know, again, spitballing here, but mm-hmm. all of these things are in play a month ahead of the, the trade deadline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Uh, week ahead, Jeff, which is uh, busy. Uh, touched on it a little bit, but what do you anticipate here in the week ahead? Yeah, I mean, they should be able to get past Chicago, take the win and bring it on home. And then, you know, home for two. Uh, and we saw that Detroit pushed them and gave them everything they could handle. Then the big one on Saturday, the first look at the Winnipeg Jets uh, all season long, the first of three remaining against the Jets. And then right back out on the road, the quick turnaround for the Vancouver Canucks and uh, road trip that includes you know, Dayton, Colorado. So we've said this for a while that, uh, you know, not a week's going to go by here over the second half of the season where there isn't one of uh, or a couple of big conference games or divisional opponents. And we're going to start to see that Winnipeg, Colorado and, and on and on it goes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's funny because I, I really didn't think much of the Thursday game against the Detroit Red Wings, but after what we saw and you know, mm-hmm. now there's a little bit of intrigue there, uh, but I am looking forward to seeing the Jets uh, just, uh, you know, whether it's uh, the goaltending matchup, whether it's, uh, you know, couple of great defensemen and Josh Morrissey and Quinn Hughes are all the firepower up front. Um, Winnipeg's having a hell of a season. The Canucks obviously have done their part here. So uh, that should be a fun Saturday night at Rogers arena with the Winnipeg Jets. And Jeff, you mentioned six games outside the Pacific time zone earlier. Well, they got two outside the Pacific time zone Monday, Tuesday next week. So that number's four in eight days (laughs) in eight days. They'll have Four games left outside well, of the tomorrow, Pacific time tomorrow zone. in Chicago as well. So they oh, right, three sorry, right, sorry. Pardon me, three. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And a uh, another Monday matinee next week yes. in Minnesota yes. against against the Wild. Marvelous stuff, Jeff. Busy weekend for Rinkwide. Will be a busy week ahead. Thank you for this. Catch up Friday. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Secure some breaks from. From Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Infinity in Langley has the QX50, the QX55 with leases from 1.99% on all trims. $1,500 in bonus cash, too. How about them apples? Go check it out. Applewood Infinity in Langley. It's all good at Applewood. How about them apples? I see what you did there. Poll question today. You're pretty proud of yourself, aren't you? Slip that one in. Who should play with Patterson, Hoaglander, Lindholm? Both vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Speaking of Twitter, hashtags the best and worst of Twitter.com. And a huge story for Abbotsford's Nick Taylor. He wins the Waste Management Phoenix Open at Bob Weeks TSN. It's his fourth PGA Tour title, and he becomes just the fifth Canadian man to win four or more. Ames, Weir, Balding, Knutson. He's got a dramatic playoff putt walk-off win at his National Open. He's got a dramatic playoff putt walk-off win at his hometown Open Mm -hmm. because he has settled down there in the Scottsdale area. He's won at Pebble. He's up to 28th in the official world golf rankings. That's a career best. 
He's the best of the posse now. He is. Yeah. Like in world he golf is. ranking and just in performance too. Well, oh, like, for sure. Like he's just I mean, we thought it'd be Connors. It was for for a while there. It was Hadwin before that. Mm-hmm. Hadwin's wearing the same green shirts that he wore for Taylor's Canadian Open victory. There was a cute video asking him if he was going to storm the green. He learned his lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but how about the manner in which he he did this, Blake? He birdies five of his last six holes to win. And the iron game is just sublime. He hits it to within three, six, 13, 9, 15, and 11 feet on those final six holes. That's dialed in right there. Yeah, and, and he... he uh, he only has to do that because Hoffman goes on a crazy tear in the middle part Absolutely. of his back nine. So the two of them go on these tears. Hoffman in the middle of the back nine, Taylor to finish the back nine, and uh, it was quite a show. Well, that's it. I mean, you're playing against a guy who's white hot in Hoffman, and you're playing the number one player in the world. Like, Scheffler's in this thing late, too. Yeah. So that's a sensational victory on one of the biggest stages in golf. Alas... A stage that uh, got pushed a little bit well, too deep. Wasn't up to its own billing on Saturday. Well, that too, yes. No, well, but two two problems here because of the postponements on Thursday and Friday. You know that should that tournament was supposed to be over too. It's ten nothing San Francisco. Yeah, you could flip over though. And we did. You saw that. I couldn't find back. it though. I couldn't find it. You couldn't find the Super Bowl. No. Uh, the the uh, PGA Tour. It, oh, it, it was, was on, on the golf channel. It was on the guide as being on the golf channel, but it wasn't. It wasn't on the golf. It channel. was on NBC, oh. which had some other programming labeled, but because of the oh. change in pro, so I couldn't find it for the longest time. I came home to watch Nick. I knew he won, but I wanted to see it. Uh, then there was the Saturday Gong Show, as per usual, but this one went above and beyond. At Adam Shupak, Scottsdale. Police has temporarily closed the gates of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. If you have a ticket, you can't get in. They cut off alcohol sales. One operations manager said there are 30 fans that have blacked out. You may have seen (laughs) the video of the gentleman sitting on a stool taking a pee right through his shorts, puddling on the floor. Oh, my God. On top of those many bare-chested sliding down that little incline in the mud. For those that haven't heard, it's called, nicknamed the Wasted Wasted. Management Open. No, but here's the thing, Blake. Um, How in the hell do you get to the point where you're denying ticket holders access? Like, that is the high crime in sports events. It's up to you to have the number of, the requisite number of security in place, it's and, up to you and, and allowable your, patrons too, and your vendors to understand when someone is overserved and not serve them another. But also, like they were overcrowded, they also closed the gates because of overcrowding. Well, you've done this a number of years. No, exactly. Like, like this, is a massive fail on on behalf of yeah. the tournament organizer. You know what this thing's about, especially at the 16th hole in the stadium on Saturday. This isn't the first time. But uh, honestly, congratulations to humanity for disappointing us once again. Like, <laughs> like you you're going to a golf course to get absolutely inebriated. Yeah. And needless to say, it spilled out beyond the 16th stadium hole 
three players wind up getting into it with the crowd. Zach Johnson, quote, don't sir me. Somebody said that. I'm just sick of it. Just shut up after a tee shot. Billy Horschel with his playing partner over the ball. Buddy, when he's over the shot, shut the hell up, man. Come on. He's trying to hit a damn golf shot here. It's our effing job. And then Spieth, when someone starts screaming in the middle of his backswing, turns to the gallery and just says, what the F? Yeah. So I, I think this might be the year the music died at the Waste Management Open, or at least the, the year that the music got so loud that we got to dial it back here a little bit. Yeah. for Fewer people next year or more security or better alcohol uh, uh, yes. yeah, rules and how regulations. About, how about alcohol management? Yeah. As opposed to waste. Um, also, or alongside also waste. noticed people had conspiracy theories about the Kansas City Chiefs on the weekend. Um, Hoffman was sponsored wholly by waste management. Yes. <laughs> like at the waste management open, you want to get a conspiracy theories. The guy fully adorned in the title sponsor is making it to the playoff. I don't know how you conspiracy. At his first real time compet- uh, competing in a long time. Uh, he's, been, he's been in the booth. He's been, he's been injured. And, mm-hmm. No, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, here's a crossover uh, tweet from the weekend's two big events at Shambly Brandle, Brandle Shambly from the Golf Channel. Watching these guys kick 350-plus yard field goals thus far, one can only think that the ball goes too far and it's ruining the game. Oh, very good, Brandle. <laughs> very good. <laughs> two record-length Super Bowl field goals. Unbelievable. Poor Jake Moody held the uh, record for an hour. Uh, from the Montreal Alouettes as well on the Super Bowl at MTL Alouettes. Hey, Chiefs, when do we play each other for the World Championship? Ah, very good. Very good. Très bien. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought you the story late last week of Canada's women's basketball team that was in this last oh, chance qualifier. I actually watched it uh, yesterday morning. At Can B Ball, spot secured, all caps. I don't know. Yeah, all caps? I don't know about all caps. It should be like eight font. With Spain's late comeback against Hungary, the Canadian senior women's national team punches their ticket the 2024 Paris Olympics. If you missed this, Canada beat Hungary and then lost to Spain and Japan and so needed Spain to beat Hungary in the tournament's final game to take one of the three Olympic berths that were available. Here's the only problem. Spain had nothing to play for. Yeah. And it showed. Early anyway, yeah. Hungary was up 19 at the half. 22 is the biggest lead. Spain comes back with a 23-8 to eight fourth quarter to win by one and get the Canadians through as opposed to the host Hungarians. By the skin of their teeth, Canada into the Paris Olympics. Well, I think in, in both cases, uh, the favorites just took Hungary so lightly. Like Japan got stung in the, in the, earlier in the tournament by Hungary. Hungary beat Japan. Like, how? I, I don't understand it. Canada handled Hungary with relative ease. It was a double-digit win. So very, very strange stuff there. Uh, this is an unbelievable story. At Neil M. Davidson. <whistles> Matt, remember the uh, the Stockton, California 
Canucks preseason game? The one that... The one that didn't happen. The one that didn't happen? Right. This goes beyond that. At Neil M. Davidson for CP in Toronto. Toronto FC advises it, quote-unquote, cannot share results from today on its MLS preseason game with the Columbus crew in Santa Barbara, California. What is it about California? In Santa Barbara, California. Apparently, decision was a deal with Columbus. So Columbus and TFC play a preseason game in California and agree, we're not going to say a word about this. No one say what happened. <laughs> and so in, the athletic insider, Tom Bogert's like, I can't believe I had to go to sources to find this out, but Toronto beat Columbus 4-2. Like, what, what is to be gained by keeping <laughs> no one it a knows. Secret? No one. The, the suspicion. Back to conspiracy theory. The suspicion is that maybe they had a lot of unsigned players playing in this game, ah, and they didn't want that spoken about. They didn't right. want. Oh, they're looking at so and so. They're trialing so and so. It has to be nefarious, right? Yeah. Well, and that's not even nefarious. It's just they didn't want to rumor monger themselves. Basically, like if they're you're allowed to trial guys, but they didn't want it to create a story. I guess. You're allowed to trial guys in a game, like in a yeah, I believe so. Yeah, in preseason so game. Was this sanctioned by MLS or was this just like I mean, a glorified scrimmage? You know how NFL teams yes, will right. find a partner and right. just do like a glorified. It scrimmage may be the latter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's just the fact that we we agreed we're not going to talk played about today. it today. Yeah, who won? I can't tell you. <laughs> who scored? Oh, certainly, can't certainly tell not you. getting into that. Certainly can't tell you that. No, no, it's proprietary. Yeah, we'll keep that in house. That's all we're going to say about that. We're moving on. We're on to Cincinnati. <laughs> and that's hashtags for today. So here's some price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. Super Bowl. That happened. How'd you watch? Uh, comforts of my own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went full. I was like, I can eat anything healthy today. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy the trashiest chicken wings I can find. <laughs> making big plate of nachos with more cheese than should be humanly allowed. Yep. yep. Um, Good. We did nachos too. Felt pretty sick by the halftime. I would, oh, did uh, you? Yeah, like it was very overserved uh, food wise. But it was uh, it was good. Yeah. Your girls were more interested this year than ever before. Glued to it. Really? Glued. I did a lot of rules explaining. <laughs> yeah. A lot of rules. Then what happens after the fourth down? If you get the tenure, then you get a new one. New four more? But what happens if you do that again? You just that's the pattern. That's you just that's keep, how it works. Keep going. <laughs> then one of them asked at one point about direction. I didn't even I don't even know who said it. I just heard it behind me like which direction or backwards or I was like I don't even I don't know how to I don't know how to address that like <laughs> but it was like almost after every play what happens now yeah so, I get, I get by this. the end I think seventy five percent of the people in the room knew the rules of football mm-hmm. Good. there were still a few outliers that it was there was there was a lost cause did you see the touching commercial of dads and daughters yes, yes. it was a cute one yeah. yeah. I get the same question every Super Bowl Sunday and every time we go to a Lions game. Why do they run in the middle when it never works? Yeah. 
That's I mean, fair point. There are some offensive coordinators who think just that. And sometimes know? new eyes waste my time. Sometimes new eyes to a sport are mm-hmm. wonderful because they point like you know with these London games for the NFL lately. Yeah. Um, some they published some of the uh, reaction from some sports fans. They're like, mm-hmm. "Why kick off? What's yeah. the kickoff? Get rid of." And I and you know what? It's never been my, more pronounced. My dad is now my so watched the Super Bowl with my parents for yeah. the first time in twenty some years. Yeah. Last one we watched together was uh, John Gruden and Tampa Bay winning. And my dad is now on. He's you know he's an old man. He yells at clouds. But this has become his pet peeve over the season. He keeps saying to me, Matt, you're telling me they moved the extra point back because the commissioner said the previous extra point was not an exciting play, and they want to bring excitement to NFL fans. Why do we still have these damn kickoffs that land in row J of the end zone? It's because I was watching it kind of through everybody else's new eyes to the sport. It's never been more pronounced to me than last night. The kickoffs yep. oh, were driving me crazy. No. <laughs> oh, man. You know, and I understand they're trying to reduce the number of injuries on special teams when you got guys going full board down the field. Just for, give it to them at the 25. Honestly. Just I, give I, it to I, them. I, at this stage of the game. And we're, you know, this on a weekend where Devin Hester gets elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm just not sure we're ever going to see another Devin Hester because – Teams just don't return kickoffs. Or kick, if it's close, they just or kick off from your goal line. Something That's like that. That's the only option. Yeah, I mean the kickers are so good. Anyway, which is part of the storyline: three fifty plus field goals. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Uh, decent game. Well, Wasn't a, decent second half. Yeah. Decent game saved by the second half and overtime. Yes. Well, we don't see overtime in Super Bowls very often. Well, we saw it in this one. Honestly, given that Christian McCaffrey fumbled on the fifth play of the game, things were pretty much going to the 49ers script. I mean, we talked last week. Could you see a sort of game like they played four years ago where San Francisco, as the better team, is better for three quarters, and then it comes down to winning time, and here comes Patrick Mahomes, and sure enough. The KC secondary, though, was marvelous. Mm -hmm. Like the, The KC defense should not be. This from Dan Orlovsky. Kansas City faced the number two, three, four, and six offenses in the playoffs. They had combined average 28.3 points during the regular season. Playoffs against Kansas City, 15.8. Steve Spagnolo, who really deserves another head coaching job based on the work he's done in Kansas City and particularly this year, they shaved 12.5 points off four of the best offenses in the league. <laughs> That's- like it, it maybe not quite Belichick in from the '91 Giants team, um, but it's up there. Yeah, because really this Super Bowl was won as much with the defense as it was with Patrick Mahomes on the offense. Now Mahomes winds up winning the MVP, and Kansas City winds up running 76 plays despite not possessing the football very much in the early going. So a lot of things were going your way here, San Francisco. Well, that long drive at the end of the game that ends up in a field goal, like you do mm-hmm. all that work, you do all that heavy yeah. lifting to get into the red zone and then settle for the three instead of the seven. It was big play mm-hmm. by the Kansas City defense to, to thwart them at times, and the third quarter just didn't exist for the 49ers offense, like three yeah. and outs. Um, it was a you know, good adjustment. You know, it's nice for the Chiefs to win a Super Bowl like that rather than purely the, you know, Mahomes to Kelsey, Mahomes – to Tyree Kill back in the day, you know, like it, it, they they reinvented how they're winning Super Bowls a little bit. Uh, I suppose there will be another parade, but 
Uh, I've just about had my fill of the Kelsey brothers at this point. Yeah, they've had. If, a, if I don't need to see or hear a Kelsey till uh, you're going to get a break. September, you're, I'm okay with you're that. You're going to get a long break. Don't worry. Um, I I thought it was inappropriate what Travis Kelsey did with Andy Reid. I understand players getting hot and receivers are always open. But you're screaming at your head coach. You're bumping that guy. Yeah, no, it was just, that was not. Like, not are great. you that attention starved, Travis? Do you need the ball that much because your pop star girlfriend's in the box and it's this big stage? Like, I, I don't you know, think that's that. He had one target in the first half. That's crazy. Like that was really well, weird. But no, you're an. Ex- You've got an all-world quarterback. He knows where to go with the football. You know, you're gonna get yours. But you're not moving the football, and you're not, like the tight end. That the the best tight end of all time is guaranteed six yards. They saw that later in the game. It's guaranteed six yards, and then he might fight for four more. Why that isn't your default position? Mm-hmm. It is a little weird to me. Now it doesn't require you to go yeah. bump your coach, but uh, I he had the point. He addressed it in a really poor way. I blame ex Bears coach Matt Nagy, who's back on that offensive staff. Somebody asked me yesterday, do you think Nagy will have an effect? I went, oh, just shudder went through me. <laughs> um, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Club now with three Super Bowls in the last four years. First to repeat since the uh, Belichick Patriots of 20 years ago, Super Bowl 38 to 39. Mm-hmm. Clearly a dynasty at this point. More talk about Patrick Mahomes taking a run at the GOAT, Tom Brady. He's not even halfway there. And yet, you take a look at this Kansas City team that was pedestrian at receiver. The great tight end, but the wideouts were... And I know Hardman catches the uh, game-winning touchdown here, but... Not difference makers, no. No, and you saw that through the course of the year. Yeah. Um, had a banged-up offensive line. Weren't exactly great on the offensive line. And uh, still they win. This from Kevin Clark, NFL writer. The reason I think Mahomes is Michael Jordan is because Jordan relegated so many would-be legends to minor characters. Mm -hmm. He left literally no breathing room for anyone else and shaped the legacies of basically all his contemporaries. We might be seeing it again. He's on his way. I, I perfectly earmarked, put. I earmarked this as well. I was going to read this put. as well. Yeah, it was. It's it is perfectly. That's put. because that's it. Like Josh Allen is a hell of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. He hasn't even been to a Super Bowl. No. Joe Burrow, he's got a win over Patrick Mahomes. They've been to a Super Bowl. Long shadow. Yeah, and you're deep into that shadow. And I love the fact that he's a running quarterback. Lamar Jackson, MVP. I love the fact that Mahomes is a running quarterback that isn't a running quarterback. Like, he's not Lamar Jackson. Like, it's not a a crutch for him. It's an available skill that he uses when needed. And boy, did he use it marvelously late last night. He's the perfect balance. He's the perfect balance. Because you do have to have a quarterback who, quote-unquote, extends the down and has escapability and all of that. And yet he is always looking to throw. Yeah. And then when you get in these big games where you can be a little more cavalier about taking hits in your health because the stakes are that high and mm-hmm. you only have so many snaps left, he he knows that's a weapon and he uses it. He is just a fan. I'm such a fan of how smart he is yeah. playing the position. And the play was at the fourth down where he, he called his own number right off. The play was designed. It was the Red Sea opened yeah. for him. Like That was just... 
It's unbelievable. Like I walk Josh Allen in, there's a boneheaded player or two per game. With Mahomes, there's just so few glaring mistakes. Yeah. You know, it's the massive arm. It's the great accuracy. It's the escapability when he needs it. And the decision-making is just sublime. He is the full package. Well, how about that fourth and one when he ran for it? That's eh? what I'm saying. Like the game was yeah. coming down right there. And it was a great boom. play call. And, uh, I mean, he was right there for you at Acres. It was unbelievable was it wasn't even a nail biter but if you if you notice that there is now more and more and there already was I'm not saying it didn't exist before but more and more debate about fourth downs like I, I, I like I think we might have finally broken the back of the fourth down that I think we're gonna see them go for it even more well and Kyle Shanahan is one of the um one of the coaches that doesn't risk fourth downs yeah. very often. Yeah. They showed the graphic, I believe, through the first three quarters. He went for it on fourth down the fewest number of times mm-hmm. this year. So, yeah, no, I, and particularly when you have a guy like Mahomes, you just give him another crack, like a, the percentages play. Well, what I'm surprised is a lot, a lot of the fourth downs that we saw, they don't, they don't go big. There's not a lot of big lineups. Oh, my like, God. They go they, for real plays on fourth down. And, and, Blake, they get in shotgun formation. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very bold. I just, every every bit of, every nerve ending in me is tingling when I see that. I'm like, oh, it's fourth and two. It's They're way more shotgun. Ex- it's more exciting for the for the viewer, obviously, but mm. whatever happened to just scrumming that and pushing that across the line? Like, it just doesn't, doesn't happen. It's funny. Now, did you see what happened uh, Friday night in Seahawk land? No, I don't think so. General manager John Schneider, new head coach Mike McDonald, are out having beers with what turned turns out to be their new offensive coordinator. Fan snaps a photo. It goes around. Our friend Captain Bell in the News Tribune said, well, it's the first for me, but some fan got the scoop from a suburban Seattle bar. Wow. Ryan Grubb, he was the offensive coordinator and play caller at the University of Washington this year. He left to go to Alabama with Kalen DeVore. Now he's going back to Seattle to coach the Seahawks offense. And as Captain Bell notes, he is the first coordinator in C- offensive coordinator in Seahawks history who has zero NFL experience since Bob Burkowski in the mid-90s. So a huge rise here for Ryan Grubb on the coattails of Kalen DeBoer. Blake, these guys were coaching like Division II, Division Three football in South Dakota a decade ago. And here they are now <laughs> leading up some pretty big programs, the Seahawks offense in Alabama. So that was interesting. There you go. Got a fan breaking the news. Insider. On the uh, Canadian Football League front, CFL Free Agency Tuesday, Farhan Lalji reporting that Matthew Betts mm-hmm. going to sign with the Detroit Lions from BC Lions to Detroit Lions. Apparently the Hamilton Tiger Cats are in hot pursuit. And Apparently, you can't announce this signing in the National Football League until later in the week. Lions released veteran defensive tackle Woody Barron on Friday. And for a moment there, I thought, oh, okay, he had an offseason signing bonus. I thought, oh, okay, they're going to take that money and they're going to give it to Betts. Hmm? Apparently not. And did you see that there's a mascot 
for the 2024 Grey Cup. No, I did not. I can only imagine. And I don't know how Leo the Lion's going to feel about this. There is a Grey Cup-specific mascot. It is Canada's national animal, one of them, a beaver. Name, Justin Beaver. Okay. That's a Torontonian. Or an Ontario guy. Yeah, it's in Stratford or something yeah. like that. Huh. Anyways, Justin Beaver to get Grey Cup festivities going here. I imagine he's going to make a visit here to the studio. You be nice when he gets in here. I, I will be nice. Yeah. Okay. Results from Friday's poll question. Uh, you'll remember they were coming off that stinker against the Boston Bruins in Beantown on Thursday. We asked, did the loss to the Bruins reveal anything that concerns you? Nearly 2,000 votes. Yes or no? What did the people say? People said... No. Correct. Was, yeah. Percentage? Now, if the answer is no, then, this is funny, because I was debating in my own head, but mm. if the answer is no, I'm going to say 70%. 64. Yeah. So, yeah. BJ says, yes, important statement game with all eyes on it, and it was a big fat egg. No pushback, lackadaisical, nonchalant, so disappointing. Had a temporary flashback that Luongo mm-hmm. wasn't. Nah. A, a lot of people um, highlighted big games, we talked about this last week. Vegas, Colorado, kind of the other big games that they lost this year. I guess the one in Toronto as well. And a lot of people highlighted stars and particularly Elias. Louis, I've been saying all season, the core players are not battle-hardened for the playoffs. Wouldn't surprise me if they went out in the first round. Johnny, mental toughness, team folded like a lawn chair with the slightest bit of pressure. North Creek Dan, we rely on our goaltending too much. You know, but all people those... surprisingly had a lot of gripes with the Canucks, given how superior they've been through fifty games. But they've also shown an unbelievable penchant for coming back here. They they put they've dug themselves so many holes here over the past five six games, and yet mm-hmm. they still got a winning record over that time. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah, that Boston game was. The culmination of crap. Mm-hmm. But in every other game, when they've had some crap, they've backed it up yep. with some better play that has salvaged the night. Well, and look, I mean, they're in danger of losing their third hockey game in a row Sunday in Washington. They trail. They come back. They, they trail again. They battle again. Exactly. <laughs> they get their point. Then they get a great bounce, break, and they capitalize. That's that. Yeah. Still no three-game losing streaks. And even if they had lost in overtime, it's a three-game losing streak where you pick up two points along the way. Yeah, it's still one. I'm sorry. There's no chicken little here. It's now, what, one game without points in 15? Like, you're going to take that. (laughs) You're going to take that run. Errors and omissions from Friday's program and beyond. Uh, Just the one on my list. We wondered what the format was for this FIBA last chance qualifier for the Canadian women's team. It was simply a round robin. Four-team round-robin. Yes, despite the FIBA website calling it group play. It's the only play. It's just just play. There was no knockout play. (laughs) Group play consisted of the matches between those sides and nothing else. That was the tournament. So they had four micro-tournaments sprinkled around the globe. The problem with that is what we saw in that final day is that both of those games should have been on at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's only because they're doing little micro tournaments. Of course, they're only going to have one court. Right. 
But both of those games should have been played at the same time to eliminate Mm -hmm. what we saw. Which was one team having everything on the line and one team having nothing. Yeah. On the line, but you don't know I that. Mean, if good on Spain for, the same for time. playing hard in the second half. Yeah, they could have easily packed the tent, and if they had, that would have been that for the Canadian ladies. Is that it, Grady? Do you have anything on your end? Nope. Brilliant. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder: subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and Connects Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social: that's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Of course, live on YouTube every day, eleven thirty a.m. Pacific, and of course, support those those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.